0: I am. there you go. <laughs> These things happen. <laughs> Good. Well, we're looking in the series on the Holy Spirit on relying on the Holy Spirit, and we're looking at a very famous verse, which is, "Not by might, nor by power, nor by my sp- but by my spirit," says the Lord Almighty. And it's one of those Bible verses that everybody knows, but I suspect, often without knowing the context. So, we're going to take this morning a quick dive into a minor prophet because this quote is in the book of Zechariah. So, if you don't know where Zechariah is, or you've got a Bible like mine, that every time you close it, the minor prophets rearrange themselves in a different order when you open it up again. You got one of those? Yeah, it's going to come up on screen, so you'll be all right. Um, but before we read it, a little bit of history uh, because it's important before we. Try and hear what God's got to say to us to understand what it meant to those who heard it for the first time. So, Zechariah, we're in somewhere around the year 520 BC. If you remember, or maybe you didn't know, the exile has happened in 597. Now, remember, BC, we're counting backwards, just just to be clear. 597. Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple had gone, and in stages, people were, the people that survived, were taken to Babylon. First, Daniel as one of the elite, and finally, Jeremiah, the prophet, who'd been telling them for a long time that this was going to happen because of their disobedience. That's 597. 539, Cyrus comes to power in Persia. There's a new superpower. It was the Assyrians, now it's the Persians, or Iraq and Iran in modern-day geography, and everything's changed. The Persians had a different view of how to control their empire. Instead of destroying the city, moving them to be reprogrammed in the capital of Babylon, the Persian view was let people live where they are, worship as they want, as long as they pay us taxes, who cares? So 539, that happened. In 538, the Jews saw this as an answer to prayer. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, which is one of the best reads in the Bible, you get this fantastic story of how, against all odds, the people of God started to come back to Jerusalem under Nehemiah and Ezra. We're now 18 years on from that return, and there's a new kind of crisis. It's not invasion, it's not deportation, it's not distraction. It's just disappointment. The second temple, which had started to be built but not finished, was nowhere near as impressive as the first one. And nothing like those fantastic prophecies of Isaiah back in the 8th century. And people were discouraged. And remember, these were the pioneers, the people who didn't take the risks, who either didn't hear God or heard God and didn't do anything. They're back in Babylon, making nice careers, and in many cases, running thriving businesses. These were the people who took the almighty risk to travel several hundred miles to an unknown future because they believed God had called them. And they were struggling. And into this situation, God sends two prophets. Haggai, who I think of as the more practical one, he says, look at the temple, it's not finished, and I've noticed how you guys are decorating your houses with the latest designs. How about some of that money going there? Got to love a practical prophet. Zechariah, who is the dreamer. We're in chapter 4, he's on his fifth vision. That gives you the picture. My favorite Zechariah vision just goes like this. Behold, a flying scroll. (laughs) That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the man. So, anyway, Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it, with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, "'What are these, my lord?' He answered, "'Do you not know what these are?' "'No, my lord,' I replied. So he said to me, "'This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, "'not by might nor by power, "'but by my spirit,' says the Lord. "'What are you, mighty mountain? "'Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground.' Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord. The first thing I want to think about when we come to this passage is that there is, a, there is to my mind, a fascinating insight into the prophetic process. He sees a lampstand, well, it's as if from a dream, so it's probably a waking dream, which is technically a vision, I think. He sees a lampstand with lamps, which is quite probably a reference to the temple. And he sees two olive trees that most people think represent the two main leaders. Joshua, not that one, same name, different bloke, several hundred years apart. And Zerubbabel, who I think has just one of those names you like saying. You know, Zerubbabel. It's just, so I'll I'll try not to get carried away with that. So he sees this vision. And then there are a series of questions. Verse 2, the angel speaking to Zechariah. What do you see? And then in verse 4, Zechariah responds to the angel, What are these, my Lord? And in verse 5, the angel again, Do you not know what these are? So, in this case, the, the prophet's inspiration is in the form of a conversation. He sees something, he questions what it means. And then he gets a clear revelation of what he's got to say to the people. It's fascinating that when he gets the prophetic word, he doesn't repeat the vision itself. I mean, he writes it down here. But the word is not, I see some lampstands and a couple of olive trees. In fact, the actual word he shares, don't mention that. That was the attention grabber from the Spirit to make him search deeper. Isn't that how it is meant to work? We see see something, something grabs our attention, a word or a story or something physical, just seems significant. That's the beginning, I think, of the prophetic process. And then we ask, Lord, what does that mean? Or the Lord says to us, what does that mean? And the right answer is usually, I have no idea. It took the disciples three years of living with Jesus to go from, I know what that means, to, Lord, you know. (laughs) Certain humility is necessary. So there's a, a questioning. And if you are at the point of saying, I need answers, God, why can't you be clearer? You're probably in the middle of this process. I mean, Zechariah seems to get it in this vision in one go. But we don't really know that. How long did it take of him saying, Lord, what does it mean before he gets the message? So here's my question before we move on. Do we engage enough with God about the things he starts to show us? Or to put it another way, I wonder if we're in danger when we share prophetic words of actually sharing the raw data not the message that will come to us if we sought God, seriously. And I think there's a call here to go deeper with God in order to get clarity. I have a good friend called Anne, no, not the vicar. She's English, not Scottish, and she doesn't live in Cambridge. But Anne is one of the most prophetic people I've ever met. She's also one of the most direct, which kind of often works together. And she had this habit... People would come to her and said, I really need to know what God's speaking to me about this issue. And I would quite often say, Have you prayed and fasted about it? To which the answer was usually no. And she would say, Well, if you're serious about hearing God, go away and pray and fast, and then come back to me and we'll pray together. Prophets can be blunt and annoying. Have you noticed that? You may be living well with one, so, uh, you know, just tough, that's the way it goes. (laughs) If we're serious, then we'll seek God for clarity. So that's my my first thing to think about. Secondly, there's a whole lesson about depending on the Holy Spirit. So we hear, not by by my power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. That's a promise. We're promised that the Holy Spirit will do what we cannot do for ourselves. Weren't those testimonies great? Writing a letter to someone you've never met about spiritual things is more than a little intimidating, I would suggest. And you, in that context, you have to trust that the words you are falteringly writing is, are more than just random thoughts that are going through your head. The Spirit will do what we can at a, achieve ourselves. That's the promise that's made here. The conclusion of this is that the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. So the promise is that God will do what you can't do. The conclusion is that what God has spoken will happen. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said once, There are three stages in the work of God. Firstly, it's impossible. Secondly, it's difficult. And thirdly, it's done. And that just resonates with me the things I've done where I've stepped out in faith thinking, this cannot happen. And then it becomes a difficult thing, and then it happens. But sandwiched between the promise and the conclusion in this prophecy, there's a mountain to be climbed. There's difficulty. And have you noticed that it's hard to avoid that stage? God calls you to something which you know, unless he comes, can't happen. There's a fulfillment there. And in between, there's a battle going on because we're in spiritual warfare. So here's my question on this. Is there something that God's spoken to you about? Something you feel called to, even if it was a a faint whisper and maybe years ago? If there is, can I ask you to remember the call you were given and start to ask God to do the thing that seems impossible to you? And if you're waiting for opposition at the present, let me remind you, it goes with the territory. I love those Kairos testimonies. And the challenge to me of that is, Ian, if you haven't thought recently, if God doesn't turn up, I'm sunk. Then maybe I'm a bit too comfortable at the moment. One last thing. Right at the end of this chapter there's this fascinating verse. Who dares despise the day of small things? And I think there's something actually really important here, particularly when it comes to dealing with disappointment. We have great visions, but as a, a friend of mine used to say, and actually married to this prophetic lady called Anne. He was the practical one. He, he said, the trouble with vision, Ian, is that it degenerates into hard work. Absolutely true, unfortunately. But there's a point where God's called us to do something, and maybe it's not happening, and we're struggling, where we just have to get down and do what needs to be done, what's set before us. At the same time as we're praying eagerly for that thing that God gave us an idea of, praying for that to happen, we still need to turn up, go on the coffee rater help clear up, that still needs to happen. And to my mind, it's really uncomfortable doing both things. Settling down to a routine is comfortable. Just being a visionary who believes in wonderful things is actually itself a kind of comfort. But living both things at the same time is challenging. And of course, that's how our characters are formed. Trusting God for great things, doing the small things. It doesn't say this in the book of Acts or any of the letters, but don't you think the Apostle Paul had days when what he wanted to write was, slept badly again tonight, my prayer life is the pits at the moment, and for goodness sake, why on earth did I take up tent making? You know, because he's a human being like we are. But knowing Paul, as we do from his letters, I suspect he woke up, prayed, and made tents. It's not very exciting, but it's what he was called to do and preach the gospel, of course. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not denying there are personal struggles. You may be sitting here thinking, how am I going to make the ends meet financially? Or I'm going through a real mental health crisis. I get that. And you need other people around you to support you and pray with you, maybe even professional help. But it still helps if we keep God's vision up there and we do the next thing we've got to do the next day. Remember, when God's spoken, there's a conclusion, a fulfillment beyond the opposition. So let me leave you with three thoughts, questions to ponder and pray about. I think in this passage, there's there's a call to go deeper with God. Prophetic, particularly if your gift is a prophetic one. Not just to have the grab attention moment and share that, but to go away and pray and ask God to give you clarity about what it is he wants you to say. But there's a call to go deeper with God for all of us. And... What do you mean by that, Lord, is always a good question. Secondly, I think there's a call to take risks. It's not just for leaders, but maybe there's a bold step that you're avoiding. I know people in St Barnabas who've stepped out to undertake new ministries that nobody had thought of before at a young age. That's scary. But actually, it's also scaring talking to someone you've been working with for the last five years about Jesus, praying for that opportunity and just being alert when it comes and going for it. There's a call to take risks. And the great thing about doing something like Kairos is you commit yourself to something that you're too embarrassed to pull out of, but you don't want to do. And you're scared out of your wits, but you're there. And then you say, God, if you don't turn up, I'm sunk. And you know what? does so there's something to be said for looking for something that takes you out of your comfort zone and committing to it and thirdly there's a call to faithful service I've met people in churches who've had fantastic experiences years before and what's happening now just doesn't match up and they sit there and all they can think about is everything is lacking. Everything that's not there. I remember a couple talking to me and saying, we're struggling with the worship. It's not like it was years ago when we are in this church. I said, well, you're, you're, um, you used to lead worship. Why don't you help us with the worship? Oh, no, no. It won't be like it was years ago. Well, no, it certainly won't if you come with that attitude. And they never did anything in the church But they knew what was wrong very clearly. And the strange thing is, in many ways, they were exactly right and completely wrong at the same time because they didn't engage with what was. So your call at the end of this might be to go away and pray and fast. It might be to sign up for Kairos or something equally scary. It might be to join the coffee rotor as an act of obedience to God. Whichever is for you, just do it. And the God who does more than we ask or think will fulfill the promise to Zechariah in you. Let's be quiet for a moment and pray, and then I'll, I'll hand back over to Tim. Heavenly Father, thank you that words spoken two and a half thousand years ago can speak to us now. Thank you for your words to people who had committed themselves to you but were struggling Were words of promise as well as challenge. And our prayer, Lord, is that you help us to respond to the words you're putting on our hearts this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, one last thing, sorry. When, when, I forget who was talking about shoes. Do you Remember, there was a story about shoes. As soon as the word shoes was mentioned, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the story. It's just one of those, ding! And I, I feel that there are some people here who think, God's given me a call, but the shoes are too big for me. It's just too much. And actually, God wants to say to you, no, nope, they're the right size. You just need to grow into them. I've made him write it down now, so there you go. (laughs)